Okay, hello and welcome to the Show Up That podcast. Today, my special guest, he's no, he doesn't need really a, a big introduction. He's a great dude. He's a journeyman lineman. He's been on here before. His name's Gene Gloudman from Line One One Clothing. And uh, it's just a pleasure to have you on here, Gene. Once again, bro, to dissect this, this uh, podcast that we had earlier in the week. And uh, just to go over this. Now, the podcast we're going to be talking about today is Steve Poulter's father factor. And Steve Poulter is a psych, uh, is a licensed clinical therapist. Okay. To better understand that since we're breaking this down in this podcast is it's an in-depth study of problems related to mental health. And that's it. So he deals in the realm of mental health and illnesses. So with that being said, we're going to go ahead and dive into this podcast, this tailboard, as we call it. We're going to start breaking it down in layman terms. That way we can kind of take all the good out of it and glean it and, and help put it to use for fathers out there. Gene, what's up, my big man? How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much. I'm so flattered to uh, get a second invitation, a second opportunity to have a conversation with you. That last time was a blast. I was, you know, a bit nervous. You know, like we said, we are recording this and we know that people are going to listen and all those different fears of judgment and criticism that are out there on the internet with these uh, thunder thumb brave soldiers. But nonetheless, we're talking to our community, brother. And Absolutely. we're talking line hands across this country, union, non-union, who gives a damn? If you're doing line work, we speak a similar language. We have something in common. And we know what it's like to build power lines, to work long hours, to provide for our families, and to do dangerous crap in the meantime. And listening to this gentleman, I'm a, you know, when people hear mental illness, they'll in instantly, you, you go into a rejection mode and mm -hmm. you deny yourself the fact that you might be screwed up a little bit. And for anybody to be of any age or to have spent a reasonable number of years on this earth we're all a little screwed up mm -hmm. and we're all when we really really get to the root of each other we're the same kind of crazy you know and some of us require help mm -hmm. it's bottom line uh there's lots of opportunity for help there's help in friendship there's help with gentlemen such as steve there can be help in medicine if used properly and to deny ourselves the fact that our brains are twisted and sometimes our reactions our emotions our our conclusions that we that we build in our own brains are often a product of ourselves and not reality and but we have a tendency to just pull the curtain right at that word of mental illness mm -hmm. and although we're not <clears throat> completely let's see how, how do i <clears throat> excuse me did some camping this weekend my throat's a little bit uh groggy and dry i'll get that cleaned up as we start talking we we, we need to kind of humble ourselves and mm -hmm. realize that we're not alone and that's where I, I, i'm going to go directly into what i think causes that and 
it's something that exists in society right now and is that it's at it's in everybody's face every day for minutes or hours or hours upon hours and that's social media mm. and comparison and the problem with that is that we put on this public image because mm. we're putting ourselves out there and nobody's posting the bad times nobody's posting the struggle everybody's posting nothing but that vacation or that new possession or and when we look at that mm -hmm. comparison right comparison is the thief of joy yeah and somehow we find comfort in our digital comparisons with one another mm -hmm. yet we're all silently struggling right and i think that's creating and closing avenues of communication and opportunities for therapy within each other. Because let's say I see Dave constantly posting pictures of his mansion, not talking about real issues the way he does. And all he has is nothing but good times, never has any head noise. Man, that dude's got it together. Do you think I'm gonna be real quick to call him up and say, hey dude, I'm going through a rough spot. And I need a friend who's going to understand. I'm going to think to myself, that dude ain't going to understand the damn thing I have to say. Mm -hmm. He's too busy living life up in that mansion with all that cool stuff he has, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. <clears throat> when in reality, I guarantee you could relate, but I'm subconsciously eliminating you from being a, po a potential help to my circumstances because I'm looking at all the good times you're having and I either don't want to bring you down or I don't think you're going to understand. Yeah, there's no there's no relatability there in all that. Mm -hmm. um, let's take it even a step further, Gene. Do it. Do it. With that being said, do you think it's pride for us not wanting to ask for help? Because I, I know for me, a lot of times I didn't want to go to see a therapist at all. I didn't, I didn't want to do any of those things. I mean, they made us go when I was in the military and stuff like that. Or when I got out and I went to the VA but I was like, nah, I'm okay. I don't have a problem. I can mm -hmm. deal with it. Mm -hmm. And it was pride. I yep. think, you know. Well, I'll go ahead and open the can of worms right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I get to witness over 500 apprentices, young, young men and a couple women, mm -hmm. and their daily behaviors. And sometimes they share their struggles with me because there's things that I could do to maybe aid them mm -hmm. a little bit. <clears throat> recently we lost a 32 year old apprentice to suicide mm. he was a father of two one nine years old um, and a seven-year-old he was going through some divorce struggles and some custody issues and you know living in a brand new relationship and he had some of those you know like you said you know just you know they can't see the video here but you gave yourself that nice little fist to the chest you got this keep plowing forward you got this you got this you got this well, everybody has a breaking point, man. And, yeah. and here's what I got, you know, I, I've psychoanalyzed suicide countless times only because I've been in some pretty bad places myself. And I'm just thinking what the hell had a hold of him? Cause I just, he had just taken a step test a few days prior. He turned hot and he's, you know, excited about that. We got him through it. I connected him with another veteran in the program and I'm, I'm trying, I'm telling myself, okay, maybe God will intersect here. 
and these two will kind of open up. Mm-hmm. And then in hindsight, those would be the last two dudes that would just open up to each other, right? You know? Yeah. Because yeah. these guys have been in firefights overseas. You put them in the right suit and give them the right weaponry, and they're powerful human beings. Mm-hmm. They can engage like world-class GI Joes, right? Mm-hmm. But you bring them home and you put them in a family setting. You put them in a rough spot with the custody of his children. Mm-hmm. And now, is he powerful anymore? No. Mm-hmm. No. He's helpless, dude. He's helpless. So mm-hmm. you got a man who's extremely powerful in uniform, extremely powerful with, 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 a, with war caliber weaponry, right? Mm-hmm. He's military trained. He's part of the U.S. military. You know, mm-hmm. we're, the, we're the global superpower. Mm-hmm. And that setting is powerful. And then had his legs cut off, literally, you know, mm-hmm. his legs are just swept out from underneath him and he, he no longer has power. He was taught to be fearless and here he is dealing with the custody situation and the dude opened up on Facebook and he said some things and he said, this is where I'm at. This is who I'm going to be, you know, love me or leave me. And I could see in some of the responses, you know, on down the line, I'm like, okay, this a man's going through it, you yeah. know, because I've been through a divorce and I've been without my kids. And I said, he's no, I know he's going through it. So I'd ask him, you know, hey, what you got? Talk to me, man. I said, you know, I've been there. And nobody thinks that somebody else is going to understand their situation. No. And the quickest way to shut somebody down is to shadow their situation with your situation. And I just simply said, I've been in some screwed up places. I've had some bad things done to me. Maybe we could talk, man. But do you think that young apprentice is going to open up in a classroom environment where people may or may not walk through, right? Mm-hmm. Interrupt the conversation. Just, because a guy who can think about a wartime experience, his peripheral vision is processing every little variable. Mm-hmm. And it keeps throwing him off course, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that one time that he may have been on the brink of opening up to somebody maybe it was that little lick of pride you know back Mm -hmm. to the started this uh, story Mm -hmm. that got in the way who knows we'll never know yeah life ended early but i do i agree with you wholeheartedly dave that pride Mm -hmm. pride is a beautiful thing in its proper context yeah man it screws up a lot of things i mean how many uh, arguments within a marriage Mm. go so much further than they have to on account of pride yeah because someone because someone doesn't want to lay down if someone's got to lay down right Mm -hmm. if we're fighting to win that means my adversary has to lose exactly Mm -hmm. but we need to detach from that and we need to argue for what is right and it takes two special people to step outside that circumstance Mm -hmm. and let go of their pride and really look at it in an unbiased way and say what is right Hmm. not who is right but what is right hmm. and that is a, a unique place to be mm-hmm. and almost impossible to find absolutely i agree with you 100 percent on that and it's it's you know you know who talks a lot about that is a jocko willink hmm. he talks about ego that ego. ego is a killer it is and it is. when we allow that ego to take over we're shutting our we're closing our whole world down you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. now we're not, we're not asking for the help that we need. Yep. Because why? Now I got this. I don't need mm-hmm. the help. 
Yep. Really what we're doing is we're shutting the doors to ourselves. We're closing ourselves off from all the lifelines that are out there. There's so many resources. It's like being in the trades, you know, let's, let's say mm-hmm. me, you are lineman, right? Yep. Why are you not going to utilize the tools that are given to you? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If there, if there's a tool there, it's better than the tool you've had before. You know what? Let me try that bad boy out. Let me give it a whirl. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. the same thing with this, all this information that's out there. It's a tool. It's meant to be put into your bag to better yourself because mm-hmm. everything is about growth. Cause if you're not growing, you're rusting. Yep. And, and that's the truth. You know what I Absolutely. mean? In, in everything, whether you're, you're growing spiritually, physically, financially, whatever, you know what I mean? You gotta be growing. Mm-hmm. If not, you're just rusting. Yep. And that's, I'll, I'll give you a nice little story and life experience is a funny thing. And we're going to build on this because he was talking about exposure and exploration and mm-hmm. other issues like that. And I, I heard uh, Pastor Bill Henderson in church when I was a kid. And I don't, I don't remember tons of stories as a kid because a lot of it was reading out of the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. And to follow a biblical story, I, I'm not a good listener like that. I can't really visualize that biblical context that well. I almost need like the, the dummy down child versions of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, give me the 10 year old Daniel in the lion's den. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> but uh, what um, he said is that humans are like cars. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's say we were born, both of us born in 1982. We're an amazing sports car. And we were sold off the lot for the exact same dollar amount. And we left and we took two totally different paths. You went your way which was places you weren't supposed to go. You were road hard and put away wet. You weren't maintained properly, <laughs> but you got to see the entire freaking country. You went through countless sets of tires. Um, your interior shot to hell. Every single one of those bumps, bruises, and scars on that vehicle are a story for a human to tell, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but there I went. I was a Sunday driver, <laughs> right? I was just a Sunday driver. I got put away. I was garage kept. And, you know, my owner washed me once a week. I don't have a lot of experience or time on the road. My body isn't damaged. I don't, I haven't seen too many experiences. I've only taken, been taken around the block just to circulate some oil, right? (laughs) I haven't been exposed to the world and I haven't seen what conflict and dangerous environment look like. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, I I really kind of took liking to that. Because at 38 years old, I'm number 14 of 15 kids. I was a parent at 17. And all the experiences that that brought in, you know, became a police officer at 21 years old, uh, navigated that career, did extremely well, caught into another career, and did a lot of living. You know, I've dealt with my own little demons of addiction, you know, sexual, alcoholism, you name it. I've had issues surrounding those things and I'm not, not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination. And I think at 30 years old, I've been that dude that's been road hard and put away wet, but all those experiences, I got out of it with my head above water. And now it's time to pay that forward. Cause I don't think that everybody has to do that. There's no way to duplicate my life. And I guarantee there are others. I've listened to some of your guests. They've been through some stuff, dude. Yeah. And 
and it don't it takes listening to their stories to say damn it dude you got out easy brother mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you think you had it tough you got out with some cool stories but you got out easy mm-hmm. you know and i think that's where we need to find that perspective mm-hmm. and that's where comparison can be a valuable tool mm-hmm. not in the social media context but just so that we have perspective in our comfortable little world where we think the slightest adversity is just crumbling. Mm, I like that. Humans are resilient. Humans are resilient, bro. Yeah, I really like that you touched on that because it's, you're absolutely true. I mean, what you said, because you start comparing and you know, you could do that negative, positive. And when you're comparing in that sense, it's a positive way to compare yourself because you're being, it's actually operating from a state of thankfulness because you're like, man, thank God I didn't go through that. You know what I mean? I was going down this way, but Mm -hmm. I see that the path I was on was leading to this. Mm -hmm. And man, I'm glad I heard this. You know, one of the things my father always stressed on me is learn from other people's mistakes. You took the words right off the tip of my tongue. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes it's threatening to share stories with your kids, right? Mm -hmm. And it's hard to gauge when they're ready to hear them. Because if you you tell a nine-year-old who's not really deeply rooted, lacks foundation, and is coming up on her most impressionable years and most difficult years. She's going to go through puberty. Hormones are going to shift. She's going to be in that cruel middle school. I mean, it's, middle school is rough, dude. Dude, yeah. Everybody's confused. Everybody's and and you share these dark stories with her. It's mm-hmm. kind of scary, isn't it? Right? Is it mm-hmm. the right time? Is she prepared for this? Is this just going to be an excuse for her to repeat my behavior? And she's going to turn the finger back at me and say, well, you did it, dad, and you turned out fine, mm-hmm. right? But that's where, how do we impact their journey? Get them to learn from our mistakes, but not give them an excuse or a tool or something to use against us. Mm. And that is some dangerous timing right there, man. And it's, it's, it's awesome that you touched on that because when he was talking about that, this is one of the questions I asked him. And he talked about a daughter needs, she, she needs a, uh, where did he put it here? Uh, da, da, da. A daughter actually needs relationship. She needs that relationship with her father, mm-hmm. you know? <clears throat> and when a daughter has a father that's present, right? Mm-hmm. In her life, she's not looking for, their dad in every man they date. And I, when he said that it blew my mind dude, because it's, it's absolutely true. How many girls have you met dated, whatever me, myself been out there or seen girls out there. They're always looking for something that they didn't get. And that absolutely. comes from their father. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and they usually look for the opposite end of it. Mm. Right. Yep. And the opposite end of it is usually an extreme that you don't want to take part in. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to uh, Matthew McConaughey's a, a, an intriguing fellow. Dude, he's <laughs> awesome. I like that guy. <laughs> he's got, he's got just the, uh, and to hear how his story came about, it wasn't necessarily an underprivileged story. Mm-hmm. He just put himself through intentional challenges so that he can gain that perspective. But <clears throat> before he said that about the daughters um, thrive better with relationships from fathers, Mm -hmm. and how the sons need boundaries right 
And I heard Matthew McConaughey say something last night on a podcast when he was on Impact Theory. And it was a hell of a podcast. Man. He, talked, he has some crazy stories. And he said, I'd rather be a good man than a nice guy. And I was like, okay, got it. I like that, right? So as a mm -hmm. father, I'd rather be a good man than a nice guy because I'm going to be a much more effective parent. He wasn't talking about parenting. Mm -hmm. I just connected two dots. We're driving home from the desert last night. Mm -hmm. And I said, wow, I like that. I'd rather be a good man than a nice guy, mm -hmm. right? Well, then I kind of, he piggybacked on that. Forgive my language, but I'd rather be an asshole than a dork. And I think our sons sometimes need the asshole because yeah. we got to set the boundary mm -hmm. and we got to set that. we got to draw the firm line in the sand. we got to say, Hey sucker, you know, boundary first. And as long as you got stay in, stay in your lane, mm -hmm. all these rules and we'll build our relationship over time. Mm -hmm. But while you're in this house, I'm the man, follow the rule and, and we'll, we'll get there. Mm -hmm. But first and foremost, we need to set that boundary. So you had to be the asshole to the son in the early on, right? We're going to mm -hmm. build on that. We're going to fix that later. You're not going to be a lifetime asshole. But the daughter probably likes the dork, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she likes yeah. the guy that's going to sit there and ask her questions and how was your day? And you Let know, me do your hair and all that stuff. Let me stuff. do your hair. And, and, <laughs> and so I was like, well, son of a gun. Depends on the context, right? So mm -hmm. you'd rather be an asshole than a dork. Well, uh, it you know i could see both being used ways yeah if you use them in the proper environment and mm. they, they have their own time and so i thought that was kind of cool how that jumped out at me it was just ironic listening to that last night mm. so i was listening to that last night on the way home from our, our weekend trip and then on my way into work this morning i was listening to uh steve and i like, just kind of connected the two dots i'm like i'm digging that man That's yeah because they, they're gosh man they're they're hardwiring just as and it, it brought me back to a book that me and my wife read after we had gone through some marital adversities and a friend of ours that had gone through some similar adversities said hey you need to read this book and it was a uh, his needs her needs hmm. building the the affair of proof marriage and we laid in bed at night and we'd read chapters back and forth and the author right when you're sitting there thinking like yep son of guns on my side here yeah son, you're wrong you better you better bite your tongue because the next chapter is coming after you brother and it was kind of funny to see it go back and forth and to write such a balanced story that basically said men or women are two different freaking human creatures that god created with intention that ultimately will balance this world mm -hmm. you know and the dominance of one over the other I think that's where we, we're probably getting to a healthy point in society. There, I understand there's some extreme ends um, that are lashing out and mm -hmm. and whatnot. But if we could just realize that there could be a natural balancing effect here and to really, um, I could ask you this and I could ask anybody listening to us right now, mm -hmm. if you got a good wife or if you, if you women have a good husband, would you be as good as you are today without that person challenging you? No. With their own perspective. Would you, David? No. I not a chance in hell. I would be. Nope. Not and at all. I wouldn't take back any one of those fights, any one of those times where she said, You're being an A or you're being a, you know, whatever mm -hmm. case was, send it because I need something to neutralize me. Because if you leave me with me, my ego is gonna magnify, it's gonna grow, and something really bad will happen eventually. But I need that balancing effect. Hmm. Right. 
Uh-huh. And it's interesting that you said that because we marry our opposites. Mm-hmm. We never marry the same because the way it was designed in marriage, you know, and you're, you're talking about how God designed it and stuff like that. It's worse. It's like a gear, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. we're supposed to come together with our opposites, just like that, you know, mm-hmm. and we need to fill those voids. Cause my wife is completely opposite from me and health marries health. You're going to marry someone who's at the same health emotionally level as you are. And when you bring that into marriage, you're bringing in baggage. She's bringing in baggage, right? It's up to each other to be able to help each other grow in those areas that we lack. It's like, for me, I don't have empathy. So my wife helped me to become empathetic because that's something I lacked. You know, someone fell on the floor. I'm like, and, but that's just rub me. Some dirt on it. <laughs> rub some dirt on it. You know, if it ain't sticking out of your skin, like a Chinese spare rib and stabbing you in the eye, you're not bad. And mm-hmm. that's, that's how I was. That's how I operated even with my children, which is not a good way, but yep. uh, she helped fill that void that I had. Mm-hmm. you know, and I helped her to be able to stand up for herself. Right. She was always mm-hmm. just always. Yes, yes, yes. You know, and, passive and getting, yeah, kindness exactly. was weakness. And exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And me, I'm, you know, I'm completely opposite. So in a healthy relationship, which our kids are what to tie this back into the, to our kids, they're watching how you guys process life. We're being mm-hmm. a role model for them. So when yep. we can work through these issues as a happy, engaged couple, and I'm not saying we're always going to be happy, and it's not our job to create to to make our, our spouse happy or even our children happy. You know, uh, gotcha. one of uh, one of the other podcasts, Nathan Padilla talked about that. He's like, it's not our it's not our job to make our children happy, but it is our job to create the environment which they can thrive in to find happiness. <laughs> you know. Okay, back to that. Uh... George Peterson mm-hmm. line, okay? The first goal was comfort, right? They come out of, they're in the most comfortable environment they've ever been in, okay? Mm-hmm. They were created, two people got together, did the thing, and it's comfortable, it matures quickly in the womb, you know, you know, some were born premature, but ultimately it's supposed to be 40 weeks, I believe, and the next thing you know, it's removed from this comfortable environment where it has all the nutrition it needs. It's constantly warm. Everything's great, fine and dandy. And it comes out of the womb. And all of a sudden, it's got fingers pressing in places that are uncomfortable. It's cold. It's hot. It's hungry. It's got poop on its butt. And the first active role as a parent is comfort. Mm-hmm. Love it or leave it. You know, when you know that I've made this child comfortable, it's been fed, it's been soothed it's had the right amount of of, uh, exposure to this brand new environment and a gradual separation from that comfortable place that it came out of and then you could start challenging it and he says it's right around that nine to ten month mark where now we might start talking some self-soothing you know now we might be a little bit spoiled but ultimately then that leads into that encouragement okay linemen are not encouraging creatures are they no no were they heavily (laughs) encouraged all they remember is that time when they were 11 years old and their dad told them to suck it up and you're a big little P word and, you know, get your crap together. But, you know, going back to where that kid's one years old and it decides to take its first step, 
Mm-hmm. And everybody's going nuts, right? Everybody's giddy and they're clapping. Good job, good job. And you know, in the back of your mind, like, I'm not raising a tough young man right now or a tough little girl with all this unnecessary praise. You walked, woohoo, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? And, <laughs> you know, there's little things in that tough guy, you know, state of your mind. And, but back to your point where you got to create a level of encouragement to allow for exploration so development can take place that ultimately will lead to a person who can function autonomously in the world. Mm. And I was like, wow, you talk about, he went from point A to Z real quick there because Mm -hmm. when they're at point Z, they're going to be with you. You know, I I got my daughter on the phone right now, eavesdropping on our conversation as she's back home in El Paso. She just came home on leave. And she flew back and I texted her if she wanted to listen. So, you know, I got her phoned in and, you know, seeing her develop where she's autonomous right now, mm-hmm. you know, she's out there thriving. She's been in the military for a year and a half. And that's where I felt accomplished as a parent. And then I got her younger sister at basic training right now. Oh, wow. wow. And I'm at a point where like, well, son of a gun, Jordan, thanks for the affirmation that I did a halfway decent job and their mom did a killer job and their stepmom did a killer job and their stepdad did a killer job and every other person that played a role in their life, hmm. you know, and because mission accomplished, we comfort them, we, we praise them, we put them in positions to succeed, they, they grew at a realistic rate and now they're functioning on their own. And it's, it's awesome that you put all three of those things together. You know, it ties back into love, acceptance, accepting who they are and what they chose to do, and then mm-hmm. having understanding about it and mm-hmm. why they're doing the things. And, and that's one of the things that uh, Steve talked about is that love, acceptance, and understanding. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch on that he said is it's never too late to get involved. You know, he's like, if you're a deadbeat dad, Okay, own it. Take responsibility and get involved. Mm-hmm. So, understanding. Mm-hmm. And Steve had two different contexts that he used in it because he talked about his career as a police officer, and I too was a you know police officer, and I grew up around a lot of gang members, mm-hmm. and I think that's why I made a good cop because it was. In my opinion, we always used to say, you know, it takes one to catch one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I know how you function. I know how you operate. And that's why I was where you were and put you in handcuffs, right? Yeah. But I would also see these young gang members over the course of seven years where you can witness a 12-year-old boy, right, mm-hmm. whose father is in and out of prison and on and off parole, mostly on parole, mostly in prison. And you can see him go from a 12-year-old boy <laughs> Yeah, he can't even, uh, son of a gun, all the things he cannot do at 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And he goes into a 19-year-old man. And I thought to myself, well, that's a great point, Steve, because now what if that young man had a healthy example, mm-hmm. right? And he had a, a good, positive, masculine role model, because either way, he's got shoes to fill. Mm-hmm. 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 He's got some shoes to fill. And he's not really good at doing those things that normal people in society know how to do because no one's shown him how to do it. So that's a very unnatural environment, right? Yeah, yeah. So what other, he's going to take the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. He knows how to be a damn good gangbanger. He's second generation. Yep. Okay. What if he could be a second generation lineman? Either way, he's got some shoes to fill. 
-hmm. and that other route over there where he doesn't quite fit in he cusses too much he's already got tattoos at 13 years old and he's already been arrested a couple times and he's a documented gang member and all, do you think that kid stands a chance mm -hmm. uh, honestly I mean, he's going to get a late jump on things. Mm -hmm. And as a cop, I've seen his family. And I'll, I'll, leave, I'll tell the story, but leave the names out. Because yeah. I'm very friendly with the guys now. I see him at the gym. And, hell, you know, I bumped into him at restaurants, you know. And they've sent, you know, they picked up our tab, you know. And, yeah. well, in this family, you had the oldest brother who had his little stretch as a, as a gang member. There was no masculine father in the picture. Uh-huh. But somebody snagged him when he got out of a little stretch in prison. And somebody snagged him and said, Hey, come here, jackass. Let's get this under control. Mm -hmm. Started putting him on a on a construction site as a grunt. Right. This he's seen something very natural in this guy. Mm -hmm. And he before you knew it, this dude's scoring these major custom homes. He's a full-blown carpenter, knows how to build these full-blown custom homes. He has an end with a local Indian tribe. So he's building these mansions and the younger brother winds up getting caught in a gang conflict. Uh -huh. Okay. And it was a mutual gun battle and the person on the other end ended up dying. Oh, wow. Brother had enough money. Okay. To defend him. And this is where the judicial system could be kind of crappy. Right. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, the brother, they called him the younger one, the million dollar baby. Because mm -hmm. he was bailed out by a big brother who was doing very well. And <clears throat> ultimately, the younger brother was bailed out and got a five-year stretch instead of life in prison. Mm -hmm. I see that dude today. He's one of the more interesting person, people I know. And I could have a conversation with him. And he's a journeyman iron worker. He, you know, goes to LA, works every day, goes to the gym and it's still toe boots, you know, crusty and dirty as hell, shakes hands, coexist because somebody decided to grab his older brother, say, nope, I don't, I don't like that route. I don't dig that route. You're going this way. Showed him a craft, right? Gave him mm -hmm. some better shoes to fill. If not, that cycle would have kept repeating itself. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so now you have few decent contributing members of society. You can't take back what they did. Right. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, they're doing productive things and they could be doing a whole lot worse. Hmm. Right. So either way, they're going to fill those shoes. And yeah, they're, they're going to. So give them good shoes to fill and realistic mm -hmm. shoes to fill. And that's yeah. where I think, you know, Lyman screw that one up, if you ask me, because hmm. the expectation so high and it's so the onset of it can be very rapid. And I know that sounds like a lecture, but the reason why I say this is because mm -hmm. I see generational linemen in our trade. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they do one of two things, Dave. Either they are badass and they just get right through that program extremely well, or they suck. They don't mm -hmm. seem to be anywhere in the middle. And so far since I've been in there for two years, I've seen four second generation linemen be dismissed from our program. Hmm. And I can only imagine what that does to their fathers. Oh yeah. And, and two out of the four, I knew their fathers and I've worked with their fathers and their fathers were top shelf. Dude. Mm -hmm. I'm talking just high reputation, um, could go work anywhere, run any project, you name it. And unfortunately 
I don't know what caused it. Maybe it was the absence of dad. Maybe dad was out building power lines and not being an effective mm -hmm. parent, you know, and, and this isn't, I'm not sitting here casting stones at those fathers. Yeah. And the reason why I share the stories, because maybe we could sit here and we could say, Hey, maybe I'm that guy who's working too much and not being an effective parent. And somebody's going to be talking about my boy getting kicked out of the apprenticeship in 15 years. Mm. Right. Yeah. Quite possible. It, oh, it's very possible. I, I've seen it myself with people. I don't want to say any names, but uh, I've had actual other, you know, friends of mine who tell me, I don't want my kid in the trade because I know they can't handle this. And I'm like, really? You wouldn't want your kid? He's like, no. He's like, I know how my kid is. And it's like, okay, well, you know how your kid is, but you've been on the road for the last 10 years. But then, you, no, you, you know, know how what I mean? Is, and then how about a little bit of a, take a look in that mirror. How do you do Exactly. That? Yep. Exactly. Take a how little ownership. Exactly. And the ownership is a difficult thing to mm -hmm. man. It's a, you know, it, it, it's rough. It's rough. It's rough. And, you know, maybe you, you, and you, you said that, um, we, we marry our opposites, right? Mm -hmm. And I know I think I think we parent as opposites too. Mm -hmm. We weren't given enough love, so we give too much love. And both are are unrealistic exposures to you know, too much love can be a bad thing, you know, if it's not presented properly. And sometimes tough love is uncomfortable. And I grew up in a house where brothers were in and out of prison on and off drugs never had a bed right and uh, this isn't a sob story but i seen my dad finally say enough's enough we have a chance with these younger ones and we're not going to let them see this crap be condoned in our house and my dad would kick him out literally physically fight him out of the front door and it was you know pretty crappy seeing grown men fight two of which you know two men that you love yeah you know and then your mom would try to slip in the middle and all the house be screaming and you're just a young boy you can't you can't do nothing about it you're seven eight years old and these are six foot three 270 pound men mm -hmm. can't do nothing about it but dad no. would keep their asses out the front door and literally come 2 a.m i'm getting woken up and asked to get off the couch so my brother can get in the couch <laughs> you know and yeah. to see that vicious cycle just i mean it was rinse repeat rinse repeat rinse repeat and guess what those men are doing today you know once paralyzed still living at home never been a member of contributing member of the workforce, but he's my brother. You know, mm -hmm. I, I can't hit that. And the other one's been in and out of prison, you know, done some heinous things. And those were the two that never, it was just a failure to thrive because it was too much love. And now I mentioned in the last podcast, my parents were, were products of, you know, dad was a product of youth authority, <laughs> bottom yeah. line. And mom was an orphan or level. Mm -hmm. And so she wasn't given any love. <laughs> yeah right so here she is trying to offer too much love because she knows what genuine discomfort looks like and she just couldn't stand the thought of her child being out there on the street suffering and being at home afraid of what they may or may not do out there mm. or who might harm them or who they might harm she just much rather take them in here and keep them there for all their lives mm -hmm. and my mom's 83 years old arthritic driven um and she still has these grown men at the house she will wow. not you know, and they, they, they can't, we're too late in the game, brother, you know, yeah, <laughs> they'll never yeah. be functioning members of society. And that's where I think too much love can be a very, very unhealthy thing. And it's so difficult for moms to do. And for that mom and dad to take that united front and know when it's a good time to say, Hey, foot's down, mm. you know? 
and it's interesting that you said that. I had a, a, another guest on the podcast talk about how we couldn't give what we don't have, right? Mm-hmm. Now, with that being said, your mom didn't receive that love that you're talking about. So she had to overcompensate. She never received healthy love. So she mm-hmm. couldn't give healthy love. So there was no, there was no healthy balance to give to you, mm-hmm. your brother. She you know? didn't know how to present it. Exactly. She did not know how to present it. She was never shown a good example of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was just, it, it just, that's exactly what it was. Hmm. And, and, and the outcome, you know, <coughs> yeah. brother's failure to thrive. Um, there'll be lifelong, you know, people that, and it's unfortunate because my mom within those 15 kids, she's produced a lot of greatness. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, brothers are very successful people. Everybody works their asses off. We got great reputations as, as, as laborers, right? Um, if you said every family has one, do the math. <laughs> yeah. My family's going to naturally have many more. So yeah. I think her success rate is kind of relative to a lot of families, but there's a lot of greatness, but unfortunately my mom can never witness or embrace or enjoy all that greatness because there's so much suffering around her mm. that she's distracted by the suffering and she forgoes her own needs and, and can't embrace the successes of her children or her grandchildren the way that somebody otherwise would, you know? Mm, it's interesting that you said that because I uh, I've seen it before, you know, in, in other families and everything where you're absolutely right. The mother cannot embrace or celebrate these little victories, celebrate that their children are doing good because they're so fixated on trying to fix the broken. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the and, and I think that's what people do. You know what I mean? How many times have you seen? Uh, women get with these guys because they think they could change them because they think they could fix something broken. And I've seen guys do it too with girls. You know, yeah. they, they wind up with these girls who, you know, she's broken, see something that's inside of it and you want to try to fix them. It becomes like a project and you start yeah. foregoing your own needs like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and it turns into an unnatural distraction. Well, an unhealthy distraction because so much energy is going into one kid. And let's say you're in a sibling environment. Mm-hmm. What's that doing for the other one? That one's not getting a natural level of attention because there's so much distraction by this one mm-hmm. who's over here doing bad things. And mm-hmm. then that leads to ultimate resentment, right? Yeah. And, you know, obviously we're going to cater to the, it's the squeaky wheel gets the grease. grease then yeah. when you got the, you got the kid over here, it's like, I'm doing everything right. Give me some grease, bud. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you have to make some noise because- that's what Steve said too, is that they're going to get you involved. Yeah, they are. You know, they're going to get you involved. So mm-hmm. if you're not there, it's uh, my, my boys, it, it's going to sound cheesy, but have you been watching Cobra Kai? Yeah, dude, I love that show. <laughs> Johnny's my homie, dude. <laughs> there you go. He's there you go. It sounds so goofy that, that Daniel Sun and Johnny Lawrence are going to somehow write a movie series that my eight-year-old boys couldn't wait to get home from the desert so they could watch season three. But there's so many legitimate lessons in that damn show. Yep. And I think it'll help bridge the parental ignorance, right? Because mm-hmm. you see all the parental hiccups that they're going through. Yeah. You know, my child would never do that. And, 
and Johnny's the absentee father, right? Yeah. But he, yeah. he was the superstar athlete in high school. So they cover all these different perspectives and all these uh, different point and perspective point of view. Like they're synonymous, uh-huh. but they cover all those bases, you know? And then you got Miguel, who's, you know, from the fatherless environment, can hardly throw a punch. And then somehow him and Johnny strike it. I mean, how, like, who the hell, this is good, healthy, wholesome TV. It is. You know, this isn't no strange, weird stuff that's being hyperimposed on us. This is just damn good television that's relatable from, from parent to grandparent to child, you name it. And as corny as that sounds, I think it's, it's super awesome. It is, dude. I mean, my daughter, she, you know, we, we took her to go visit my mom and dad, which live four hours away. They live in the mountains. And, uh. The first thing she said, Dad, did you watch Cobra Kai without me? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I, I did, but I didn't binge. I didn't watch the whole season in one night. I watched three See, that's episodes. Where the, boy, the boys burn me. Get this. <laughs> For any of you dads out there who think, you know, I'm not watching that goofy ass show. I went to work today. Uh-huh. My boys stayed at home. And when I got home, the first words out of their mouth were, Dad, we watched the whole season. You can't watch it. <laughs> And we promised mom we wouldn't say anything. So to get some quiet time in the house, they asked, I said, hey, I'm going to need you guys to be quiet so I can have this conversation with my friend Dave. And they're like, can we watch Cobra Kai second time? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that was my leverage, you know, Dude, to, to yeah. get some quiet time. And, you know, everybody wins. They're watching a good show for the second go around. And, you know, the quiet house has been pretty quiet. <laughs> that That's hilarious, dude. Um one of the things that I, I really, really liked that Steve said when I asked him is uh, fathers don't feel they are good enough. And that's what he sees. Okay. And we always seek for our father's approval. Okay. And he touched base on how boys need to have a sense of mastery. And that develops courage for them into the next life, right? Their next stage, the next season in their life. And when yes. you have that missing factor, that father factor, they never got it. So that's what happens. Talk going back to what you're talking about, uh, the gangbangers, right? Mm-hmm. The fathers who didn't want to step up is because they're missing that courage. They never received that courage to step up and say, hey, I want to be a good dad. Yeah. They were only good at being bad. Exactly. By the time... By the time their light bulb comes on, they've set such a negative example and they had a lot of fun doing it. Don't you tell me that those guys don't have a lot of fun doing it before it gets so miserable that they say, okay, I got to turn away from this, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think, you know, linemen are addicted to the road. They're addicted to money. They're, you know, alcohol, women, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. And by the time they get fed up with it all, it might be too little too late, right? Yeah. You're going to tell me that you got to do all those fun things that look appealing, you know, whether it's a gangbanger, Oh, dude, look at all those tattoos you have, man. Look at all those crazy stories you got from prison. Look at all those women you've been with. Look at all the, you know, that's, yeah. that is some very glorifying stuff to a young man. He's oh, just, yeah. Look at that respect. When you walk into a room, dad, look at look at that respect that's commanded. Mm-hmm. He's mastered the art of being bad. Mm-hmm. And that kid's going to emulate that because that's his most natural path into mastery. And what I did with, mm-hmm. with my girls and me and, and their mom were both ex-jocks. You know, we, we didn't come from healthy homes, so to speak. We had a lot of love in those homes. But one thing we had, we were pretty good at sports. 
So the parents, at least we got to play sports. And then when you play sports, guess what you have? You have a team. And if you're good at a sport, guess what? You have people that need you in order to win because that's the objective of any game. So then you have people that find you to be important to them by virtue of a team. Okay. So these things, and that's the form of mastery. And so we said to them, look, girls, you can experiment with this sport, that sport. You could bounce around a little bit. You can, but by the time you're about 10 or so, I want you to really sink your teeth into something so that we can acquire that mastery. And it's okay to flirt with the dynamics of other sports and to understand the rules of different games and to be distracted. But okay, you start a season, you finish a season, that sort of thing. And by the time, you know, the girls ended up in high school, I would have never envisioned it. If their mom had it their way, they would have both played softball, period. Yeah. If, if I have it my way with my sons, which I did not a chance in hell, I'm going to get it. Both of them would play football and wrestling. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen, though. I can, I can assure you it's not going to happen. Yeah. By the time these girls hit high school, they were in a swimming pool, something we had never done. Huh. But, but the environment that the school environment created, they became competitive swimmers. They became water mm-hmm. polo players. And the next thing you know, they're on the same team competing in a championship. We would have never pictured it that way, not in a million years. Mm-hmm. But the stroke of confidence that those environments gave them and feeling part of a team and understanding that you don't just walk into a game and win it. <laughs> you yeah. know, there's that mastery that takes place in practice. You know, there's that compromise that takes place with your teammates. There's uh-huh. that advice that you have to acquire from your coach. There's that criticism that you have to receive from your coach, mm-hmm. you know, and then ultimately there's that mastery of that craft. And you can't snap a finger and create that. Mm-hmm. There's a process. Mm-hmm. And that's apprenticeship, right? Yeah. Apprenticeship is that process. Mm-hmm. And how many linemen, because when he said that, I thought to myself, how many linemen, when they get that journeyman ticket, that may or may not be the first thing in their life that they ever mastered. Mm-hmm. And that is their first sense of mastery, even as a grown man. Yeah. And I could see it in some of these guys. I could see it where there was s- some absence of masculinity. And they mm-hmm. walk into our program, 140 pounds soaking wet, and they leave our program 185 pounds, solid brick, tattooed to sin with a beard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Because they were influenced by a culture because they seen masteries, they seen examples of master behavior, mm-hmm. and they knew that that looked like, and they emulated the culture mm-hmm. because they weren't very well rooted at a younger age. So they mm-hmm. were heavily influenced by the culture in the industry. And so I think it's, uh, you know, mastery. If I was to ask you, what was your job in the military? I was a combat swimmer. If you ask anybody who's been a little swimmer, they're going to tell you their job, boom, right off the tip of their tongue. They can tell you all their intricacies. They can tell you crazy details. They've mastered that craft, and they'll have that confidence in that mastery of that craft for the rest of their lives. And that's why I think, like, you sports, you know, you and I mm-hmm. both have an appreciation for Joe Rogan. Yeah. He said that uh, – he said – and I think he was on a podcast with Jocko, and he said – all the cool people, cool and interesting people I know had screwed up lives. Mm-hmm. And he said, so how do I give my children, how do I make my, in, my children interesting? Because they're not going to have a screwed up life, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's going to be, he, they're going to have all the comforts under the sun. And they're going to be popular because they're Joe Rogan's kids. Yeah. And he's, how can I make them interesting? And his only solution was organized sports. 
Mm. You know, so they're in jujitsu or they're in. And I thought to myself, think about all the adversities that you witnessed in that athletic environment. And it's true. Yeah. You're going to know success. You're going to know failure. You're going to know resiliency. You're going to, there's a lot of cool lessons learned that come from organized sports. Mm-hmm. And that mastery, you know, kids love it, you know, at a young age. Uh, just this weekend, we go up uh, on a Jeep trail. We're just doing our things, 20, 30 foot rocks all around us. Uh-huh. All of a sudden, these kids come walking around the corner. There are kids, and there's probably not eight or nine of them. And they come walking around a corner with this rusted out tractor hood. And we're like, where the hell did you guys get that? And they're like, it's part of our city. And we're like, what the heck are you guys talking about? You know, yeah. you go down there, they already got a rock fire pit built. They got the firewood that they've collected teepeed up. They got sardine cans from probably a military ruck because we were out 29 Palms. Uh-huh. You know, they got sardine cans that they found. They have their own little autonomous city right there. dude. <laughs> and they completely mastered it. And the next day, guess what? We had to go back to their city. we had to go back there was no way every one of those kids would have went to poopy face if we didn't go back to their freaking city and it was probably a six or seven mile trail you know get to it but the reward they got when they got back there they just enhanced it and proved on it and Mm. somebody found a sharpie and a piece of cardboard out of their their jeep so that they could you know identify it as theirs Hmm. and it's just you wonder how far that goes yeah you know how how far does that go i don't know (laughs) but i'm certain nothing bad will become of that behavior (laughs) no no absolutely not And i think that's that's awesome to see that because in this day and age we don't see that we see technology yeah Mm -hmm. we we see kids doing this you know what i mean yes in front of the tv or on their their Mm -hmm. ipads or whatever when they get that Mm -hmm. chance to get out into the wilderness to get away from devices and all these distractions to actually utilize that mind of theirs. I mean, the mind is a powerful thing. And for them to be able to put it into perspective, to, to, to see a vision and build this sport and master it like you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just, that's ingenuity. That, that, that's amazing for them to see that because you don't see that in kids anymore. But I guarantee you, if you take away the devices, you get them in isolation like that, right? Where... They're not distracted and they get to start utilizing that part of the brain, that creative part of the brain. They're going to start, I mean, they're going to start putting that to use. You know what I mean? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and there's a lot of fear that accompanies that, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're giving them some free range. They were climbing on 20 foot faces, dude, (laughs) literally. (laughs) And I mean, the face of these rocks were every bit of 80 degrees with a little with a little fault line in them that created a foot ledge, you know, mm-hmm. and there was no rope, there was no helmets. And all of us parents were like, what the F man? Oh yeah. Do we, do we or don't we pull them down? You know? Yeah. Uh, but um, we let, we let the ponies run, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of just put it in the hands of God and say, damn it, man, I'm pretty sure you don't want to punish, you know, any of yeah. that, you know, so let's get them through it. And, uh, but it was fun to witness that kind of behavior. And I encourage you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Think about all the different they're they're understanding gravity and friction mm-hmm. and angles and what they can and can't accomplish. And and uh they're they're computing risk and there were some bumps and bruises and mm-hmm. and different things. And so I, I'm I'm kind of a free range parent and yeah. and to the point where Mike might, might get a little bit of criticism mm-hmm. and 
in high school, you know, my daughter's listening to this story and she'll get a rise out of it. But nonetheless, one, one debate that I always had with their stepmom and their mom was it's much easier to revoke freedom than to never give it to begin with. Mm. So why in the hell are you going to turn loose of two pretty blonde teenagers on a date with a boy? Because I'm going to set a boundary. And if mm. they don't meet it, then I get to revoke <laughs> on yeah. account of them breaching that boundary. Well, the boundary, the goalpost is always moving there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and they have a tendency to move it, you know, millimeters at a time without you realizing it. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's been some goofy times where, you know, thankfully, you know, one of us was paying attention at the right time. And looking back on it, there's big parts of me where I didn't like it, where we had tracking devices on the vehicles and stuff. Wow. And I'm like, hey, you know, either she's going to, you know, because the, the, the positions that it would put me in as a father weren't good, you know? Yeah. yeah. I get a call from mom and it says, where's Aliyah? Um, She's over at so-and-so's house. No, she's not. She's up at Makeout Point. And I'm like, where is she at? And she's up at this particular location. I happen to be visiting some friends down the road. And I said, all right, got it. I'm responding. <laughs> and I didn't want to. I didn't yeah. want to go. Okay. And sometimes God gives us those opportunities to intervene. Yeah. Because we don't know where those nights are going to lead to. And you're yeah. going to trip out on the story. And um, end up, I know we're, hell, we're going over here, but you want to keep talking, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I go down there and I'm, I'm driving this windy road to get there. I got my twin sons asleep in the back of the, the SUV. Mm-hmm. I got my wife sitting next to me and we had just picked up a little CRV, uh, CR50, a little dirt bike. Uh-huh. And I got that thing strapped down in the back of an SUV while I'm going to look for my daughter who's breaking curfew and up at Makeout Point. Uh-huh. I turn the corner onto the street and there goes our car flying out of the street. Oh, literally like at 50 miles an hour on mm-hmm. a on a residential street. I'm like, that little brat seen me coming and she thinks she's gonna take <laughs> off. I, I I go into pursuit pursuit mode, you know. I'm thinking, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, oh, you watch, I'm a better driver than you, jackass. Mm-hmm. And I turn around, I catch, I catch the uh, little Scion TC and I throw on my high beams and hatchback. And I tell my wife, I said, she's not in that car and that's not her driving. I said, are you sure that's your plate? She's like, that's our car. Oh. <laughs> and I got it. So we turn on this, this, you know, kind of a desolate road. And I'm like, I'm going to, I'm halfway tempted to pit him. You know? Yeah, I was ready to pit. <laughs> but I pull up beside him, and now my wife's cussing at him. You little son of a bitch, that's my car. And I'm like, yeah, she's cussing. I get to hit this clown. So <laughs> so I kind of squeeze him off and to where he can't get past us. He, he's just a teenage boy, dude. He don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah. Who the hell did I piss off? I knew I shouldn't have borrowed Lia's car. <laughs> so I put the squeeze on him. And I jump out of the car and the window's down and the dome lights are on. I reach in and I just grab him by his collar and I drag him through the window. Where the F's my daughter? She's drunk. She's drunk. She's with the guy up at the point. We're just trying to help. We're just trying to help. And I'm like, where the F is she? You know, and then there's the girl whose house she's supposed to be staying at in the car. She's nowhere to be found. So now we got, (laughs) so we, I'm going to call the kid's parents, right? Mm -hmm. 
you know, the little punk kid takes off running through a field gagging because allegedly I choked him and all this. <laughs> yeah. And so, it, oh, it gets better. It gets better. <laughs> so he's gagging through the field. I'm just trying to help. <laughs> so somebody swings by and scoops the other kids up and they jump kind of out of our fingers. So I said, screw it. Let's go back up there and find her. I got, I'm seeing red, man. And oh, yeah. I'm just visualizing the most negative things a father can visualize at this point. She's drunk. She's up at the point. And what the hell's a dad to do, man? I go shaking down every freaking car up there. Mm-hmm. And I thought for sure I'd seen her in the back of this car. I'm stone cold sober, nothing. And I just start beating the hell out of this car. I break the window and I kick the fender. And I hear this gentle voice behind me says, Sir, why are you doing that to my car? <laughs> the car was completely empty, dude. <laughs> oh, snap. And I'm just, I'm in just such a rage. I'm like, where's my daughter? I'm shaking down, you know, you got kids up there getting high and doing goofy stuff. And this time I'm like, all right, we're clearing out. There's some raging lunatic here. Uh-huh. And I'm tramping through these hills and I can't find her. I can't find her. That kid's following me. Sir, I'm going to need your phone number. I'm like, get away from me, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Go sit down. <laughs> he, just, he just wants to fix his car, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. He was just up there on a date or something. <laughs> you know, he was just lunatic. Beating the crap. And I, I gave him my phone number. I said, call me tomorrow. I'll take care of it, right? And he says, no, I'm going to need more than that. I said, get the hell away from me. You've got my phone number. That's all you're getting. I'm not a scumbag. I'll fix your car. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so anyway, we end up finding her and bringing her home. But when you really kind of think about how far that night could have gone, yeah, had it not been intervened with those kids taking off in our car, you know, that, that could have been a story of a small town, you know. Oh, yeah. We got some crosses on the highway and, and goofy stuff like that. So it seemed like the timing when, when we did intervene in certain things, mm-hmm. we probably derailed a bad situation. And you do, you, do you attribute that to some sort of a, uh some sort of uh something talking to you letting you know just like a like a like a a, a, a notion you know what i'm saying like it it was technology technology that's Mm -hmm. where i said you know she kept moving the goalpost and i kept allowing Mm -hmm. but when the when the freedom was revoked Mm -hmm. she had no rebuttal she knew okay i screwed this up i got some dues to pay to make this right Mm -hmm. and you know, one thing that, you know, I would always tell them is like, look, we're batting for the same team. Yeah. All right. But if you could just tell me what pitch is coming, <laughs> I got a greater likelihood of hitting the ball. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And so understand that. And if you just, I'll give you some freedom, I'll give you some liberty to explore and be an adolescent kid and, mm-hmm. and do bonehead, make bonehead moves. But I won't allow for what I just seen. And I'm tell me as a parent, what puts you in the position to just simply say, you know, I could do all of these things, allow these people to mm-hmm. borrow my parents' car and, you know, not think about the extent of all those consequences and where that can go. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so when the, when that new boundary was set, <laughs> we held mm-hmm. the line period. And yeah. And that's how it was going to be. That's, that's interesting that you said that the boundary and how she started working together with you and that she saw that the boundaries were set, right? Now, yep. I could I contribute that to what Steve was talking about as you having a relationship with her. 
Because yep. if you didn't have that solidified relationship with her and she didn't respect you, yep. it could have went the other way. She could have completely, I've seen it. I've seen it in, in other fathers out there yeah. to where their daughter completely goes off the reservation. Sure. I mean, they're, they're, the fathers have been so mindset on having this structure that they needed to conform in that it completely drove them away from religion. It, it drove them away from their father. Yeah. And it drove, drove them away from their lives completely. Mm-hmm. And they went completely the opposite. And it was no, just we, because of, he didn't have that relationship before yeah. he started implementing structure. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what we've seen, once that trust was established and mm-hmm. her younger sister got to witness that in her under, she got to learn a lot of, okay, mm-hmm. she, she got a little bit more sneaky, right? Naturally, like, mm-hmm. you know, big sister's got some sloppy game. You know? Yeah, yeah, I could do that. I'm going to tighten mine up so that I can get away with some things. But at the same time, I got to know when dad's on and stuff. Yeah. And so she got to learn a lot of lessons from afar. Uh-huh. She wasn't no saint by any stretch of the imagination, and I'll never be convinced that she was. She got away with some stuff, I'm sure. Uh-huh. That that, um, but it was the right amount of liberty that was given. Mm-hmm. But once the trust was established, these girls would make phone calls to us. Where now I'm going to sound like a parent that condoned a lot of bad behavior, mm-hmm. but if you're from a successful family, you're living on the south side of Redlands, and your kid got a hold of some laced acid. And is now tripping and getting kicked out of the party and thrown out to the streets. And, and only God knows. I mean, he still has his keys, you know, mm-hmm. and this dude's tripping on acid. And my daughter's the only one that goes after him and acquires the keys and calls us and says, Dad, I need some help. I need some advice. I need to know what to do. I need, you know, well, she, she didn't call me. I had to pretend I didn't know. She called my wife. Yeah. My wife's a nurse and can identify the symptoms and whatnot. And uh, I had to pretend not to know because she probably feared my reaction. But mm-hmm. the fact that the trust was acquired, and I don't know how we, we got to that point, but she knew that the next day we weren't going to chastise her for it. Mm-hmm. We weren't going to condone the behavior. We weren't going to simply say, hey, you know, next time get your acid for me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, it wasn't going to be something silly like that, but it was something where did we put her in a position to alter the course of something very very tragic mm. who knows yeah. who knows yeah who knows what know. would have happened it's impossible mm. but i'm pretty sure that the the fact that she got a hold of the keys or however she influenced the situation just slightly mm-hmm. but we can bring this clown back inside because we all know him, we all like him mm-hmm. and let's think about this for a second and possibly save a life who knows mm-hmm. you know only god knows man yeah, but it's 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 interesting to see though that you know your daughters are both in the military now. That 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 requires courage, you know, because oh now they're it, it, it's a change, right? People don't like change, and we could attribute that to you having that emotional support in their life, you being present, you having that emotional connection with them to where. They have, they're going out into society and being contributing members to society versus takers. And I mean, that's a testament to you, my friend, you and you and your, your wife and you know, your, your, uh, your, um, 
ex-wife ex-wife and yeah. her husband yeah. her like husband. i said they they got four effective parents exactly <laughs> and then they you know even the stepdad brought in a good grandparental role unfortunately mm-hmm. here's some trippy irony here is one's home on leave right mm-hmm. <clears throat> back on the 23rd mm-hmm. one's home on leave one leaves on the 29th for basic mm. grandmother's in the hospital dies of covid Oof. yeah one of their only well their only active biological grandparent mm-hmm. damn good grandmother and my mother-in-law for eight years and the way the stars lined up to where you know visiting or even witnessing or seeing before that plug is pulled mm-hmm. and with the covid sensitivities and all that stuff like that the timing at the hospital um just because of staffing and small worlds, you know, they were able to make their way up there and at least say goodbye. And they were both brave enough to go do it. And they went in that damn every 51 looking bubble and dressed up in those gowns and, and got a chance to, you know, hold her hand while she's unconscious and sedated and everything and, and say goodbye. But the timing of that, man, what are the odds where grandmother's passing away? You two are never home because you're always away and you just so happen to be here to say goodbye. Yeah, that was yeah. definitely a divine inter, you know, divine set right there where they were able so. to do that, you know. Um one of the things I I really liked Steve say, and I, I, I attribute this to you. Talk about Winston Churchill and how Winston mm-hmm. Churchill said, We won this war because a couple of leaders got together and took responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. And I mean that's just attributing that to you and your 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 you know. The community that you have with your your wife, your ex-wife, their father, their you know their their stepfather and stuff like that. You guys got together. You took responsibility for your children, and you won the war. I mean, they're they're successful. You know what I mean? They're they're going yeah. on to their next stage in their life, which yeah. is really awesome. You know, and and you know something else on those lines is. It would be easy for me to sit here and say, yep, take full credit. That's because of stuff that I do. That, that's mm. the narcissistic nature of any of us, right? Yeah. But we all know that it takes a village to raise a family. To raise a family. And there's those little conversations that she's at, having with a slightly older cousin or the lunch and shopping she went to go have with the aunt. Or, mm. you know, it's all those little moments and those little small influences mm-hmm. that that impact them in such subtle ways, you know, that totally complement the parents' efforts. And so with that being said, careful with the company you choose, Absolutely. <laughs> right? Because that village is going to raise your family. Mm-hmm. And if it's a toxic village, your kids are going to be influenced by that toxicity and mm-hmm. may emulate it in, in, in the way you would hope not someday. Mm-hmm. And we've allowed that, that created a huge separation with me and my own family for a long time. Because I'd tell my mom, sorry, mom, you're condoning behavior that I'm not going to allow my children to believe is acceptable. You know, drug use and addiction and in and out of prison and affiliation with street and motorcycle gangs and things like that, where I said, no, I can't have it. My kids are not going to be around it. If they're at the birthday party, I'm not. Yeah. (laughs) And so I took a stance. I I created this family, you know. And now it's my responsibility. Its outcome is on me. Yeah. <laughs> and if I allow for that influence in here, I might interrupt my own efforts. And, mm-hmm. and I can't have that. You know, we, we're, we're allowed to part with family when they're wrong. Mm-hmm. 
You know, yeah. you could see them through some rough times. If, you know, sometimes people at the bottom don't want help up. No, right? No, they yeah. they're not even willing to throw up the hand, but you're sitting there dragging them, mm-hmm. <laughs> dragging them, trying to help them. And that's what I've seen out of a lot of relatives. And I just couldn't allow for, for them to see that. Mm because they knew like okay there's some drama on dad's side of the family mm-hmm. and um, and there's a reason why certain people aren't allowed here and we don't go there so yeah. it kind of took a stance to help control the village that was raising mm-hmm. my children yeah that's 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 interesting that you were able to see that and have that awareness and stand up in your role to be that protector for them because that's what you are you're a protector you saw that you didn't want that for your family. So you stepped in in that gap to provide that layer of protection to keep that influence out of your family. Mm-hmm. Now let's take that a step further. Let's, let's go back to one of the guests that we had, Nathan Padilla. His catalyst was when he lost his father, right? That was his protector. That was the man he looked up to. That was the most influential man in his life. Mm-hmm. Now his father kept him away from his cousins who were, lack of better words, bad influences, right? Now, when his father was taken out of that picture at an early age, because his father died of a heart attack, he saw them kids at the funeral. Now, that was the first time he ever smoked crack. And it was because he was in mourning. Oh, my. His influential father, who kept him away from that bad element, was gone. So now he's smoking crack. And The reason why I bring this up is because one of the things he said was so profound. He talks about how he smoked and he threw up, right? After he took a hit of crack and he asked for another. And he said right at that moment, he knew he was addicted. Okay. And and I'm, I'm tying this together because, you know, like I said before, you kept your family as a father protector, right? You were the covering Mm -hmm. there. You didn't want that in your family. So you stepped up in that gap to keep your daughter safe away from the bad badness that was going on. Right. Mm-hmm. Same thing that was happening on the retrospect with Nathan. His dad kept him away from that family because they were not, you know, people you wanted to be around. And then when he left, when he was taken out of that picture, the level of protection, that covering was gone. He was left susceptible to that type of behavior, which ultimately changed his life for like 20 years until he came full circle and became a father homeless on the streets with a child that was 28 days old and so, a wife in the other hand you know what i mean so here and i'll, I'll connect a quick dot there in the podcast with steve mm-hmm. steven you had mentioned uh, parents allowing their kids to drink because mm-hmm. i'd rather have them here than not there right yeah yeah let me ask you this. Have you done something stupid while drunk? Oh, dude, ridiculous. Almost yep. every dumb decision I've ever made is while I was intoxicated, mm-hmm. right? And when you did that, did you felt like you got sucker punched by the intoxication and you said, man, when the hell did I reach that point, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I know without a doubt, everybody has that first time experience where they underestimated alcohol, they consume too much too fast. And before you know it, they're doing something absolutely ridiculous that they're going to regret that they'll never be able to live down or they're sick on the toilet or the combination of both. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I got to a point where like, okay, I got to have a little bit of exposure therapy. 
in a way. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to have, oh, you think you could drink, huh, kid? And I'm, I'm not talking to a 13-year-old girl here. I'm talking to an adult woman. Yeah, yeah. You know? Like, oh, you think you can drink, huh? Let's see how this works out. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you know, we're holding hair back at the toilet. And she knows, hopefully, look, I didn't like that feeling. It was too much. Did it shut her off from alcohol forever? No. She just got to a point where she says, moderation. Mm. And I need to know that I enjoyed that feeling for a while. And I might go back to it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But at what point do I balance the threat and Mm -hmm. not let it go too far? Mm. Now, I lived in a household where older brothers, like I said, they ran out of the system, affiliated with different gangs and whatnot. And the second, the cases of the beer, you know, these grown strong men with tattoos and smoking, they'd walk up with cases of beer. And I knew within 12 hours, if not sooner, there's going to be a brawl. Hmm. There's going to be a brawl. So the second I seen beer as a kid, mm-hmm. I knew that there was going to be conflict. There was going to be violence, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But did that stop me as a teenager? No, I still did some of those things. But then as an adult, I got around some people like, wow, you can do this responsibly. Mm-hmm. Wow, the night doesn't have to end in conflict. Wow, I don't have to feel like hell the next day. Wow, I could still be pleasant company and have a good conversation and and use it as a my my brother Tim would always say it's a social lubricant, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it never fails. You get around a group of people, everybody's a little bit uptight, a few beers in, everybody's chatting, we all know each other's life stories, and we just made best friends. Yeah. That's the ideal night with alcohol, right? Yeah. <laughs> that is best case scenario. Yeah. Nothing but good memories. Everybody goes home safe. That's it. Take some time to get to that point, man, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I've done some dumb stuff. You know, most of my life's major regrets were because of alcohol and not using it in moderation. Mm -hmm. Now, do I enjoy some beer on a Saturday? Absolutely, Mm -hmm. dude. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'll be the first one to crack one open with a guy. And so did I condone it and just say, hey, bring all your friends over here and let's all get hammered (laughs) because I'd rather have you here than not there. No, that's absolutely condoning it and setting yourself up and, and them for disaster. Yeah. Probably not a good plan. If you're going to host a graduation party or a, um, something along those lines, have a legitimate game plan. And if you got some company, invite their parents, you know, Yeah. and then they can make that call, you know, don't do it for them because that's yeah. not, that's not fair. So I, that's where I, I didn't dis, I didn't have an outright disagreement with you saying not for me. Yeah. No, I don't know that anybody's right or wrong here because mm. everybody has their own angle on it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know? But you said you you quit cold turkey, you know, yeah. because what what whatever it did to you created something in you or an example to your daughter that you said no go. I, I I'm just not doing this. And the wife challenged you a little bit. She said, Hey, here's it wasn't an ultimatum. She just simply said, view this through her lens. Mm-hmm. Then ask yourself that. Make your own choice, man. Exactly. And you made your own choice. And it's awesome. It works mm-hmm. for you. You know, it works for you. Yeah. And, and that's where you got to be. You got to be at peace with you. Exactly. And, and and that's the thing I always tell, you know, because I've never had any issues. You know, I haven't, I haven't drunk. You know, I haven't had any alcohol in probably 10, 12 years. I don't even know how long. It's, it's, it's been a long time. But uh, some of the things that, like people would always tell me, you know, you have linemen out there that'd be like, Hey man, don't you drink? And it's like, 
no, they're like, come on, man, you, you got to drink, yeah. you got to drink. I'm like, dude, unless you want a black guy and me telling you how I really feel, I don't think you want me to drink. You know what I mean? And it's not good. You know, I, yeah. one of my brothers, Dave, I love him to death, man. We can, if, if we drink 10 times, seven out of the 10 nights are going to end bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, the three that end good, they're great nights. Don't get me wrong. And I always seek those nights with my brother. But there's some emotional baggage and there's some stuff and there's some topics that we just can't stay away from and and childhood resentments and different things like that. And mm-hmm. it just never goes well, nope. <laughs> you know. And so if he was to quit cold turkey and say, I'm never having a beer again, I'd never, ever peer pressure him or offer him or encourage or tempt him. Uh-huh. And it's anytime I see a lineman around, hey, brother, you want a beer? No, no, no. Good. I don't, I don't drink. And most of the time it's I don't drink anymore. Yeah. And if there isn't any more to it, there's a bad side of this guy that he had to lay to rest mm-hmm. that we probably don't need to bring out. So don't tempt him. Yep. You know, we're much past the age of peer pressure. Yeah, exactly. You know? And and we're more on to the stage of regret and trying to recover now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Know? So, you know, it, don't tempt the guy and don't force that down his throat because you might open up a can of worms that can turn that dude's family inside out. Mm-hmm hmm and that's hey, not good no it isn't because i mean you're absolutely right you don't know the, the the baggage the demons that that person is dealing with mm-hmm. you know i've heard it once called it's a you're feeding a monster an addiction is feeding a monster you know <laughs> certainly, you, you, certainly. You, you, you choose your monster you know what i mean what you're gonna feed and uh you did de- like for me you know like i said i i don't have any problem with anybody drinking you you choose to do that you know that that's cool that's on you you know but for me it didn't work you know and it was one of those things where when i was in the military i could handle it and i had a great time when i left the military i i don't know what happened dude honestly i could stop my it was almost like my addictive personality kicked in and I started like I couldn't just finish one. You know what I mean? You think you were in a bit of a decompression? I, 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 a yeah. decompression where where that was the only thing that kind of numbed you and, and yeah. freed up your brain for because that's what I tell my wife. She's she doesn't find me to be a fun drinker because I don't want to sit around playing fun, fantastic games. I want to throw on Cody Jinks, Whiskey Myers, and sit there and drink. Yes. And not freaking think and just reflect on some good lyrics with some good music and, and be around a campfire. That mm-hmm. is me. And yep. that's boring for some people, but that is what I need, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. and that's my little decompression. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's what, that's the only reason why I bring that up. Do you feel that in those moments you found yourself numb and that numb feeling felt good for you and your brain? Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I attribute it to, Numb, like you said, it was it was numbing. It was a numbing agent, right? It's also a magnifier. Alcohol is a magnifier. So whatever's in you, it's going to magnify. So for me, whatever I was dealing with that I was trying to suppress, the anger, whatever, you know what I mean, uh, past mistakes, whatever, I was trying to suppress that, and it was being magnified. So it was coming out. So I was acting in an angry, volatile type. Uh, of weight, you know, uh, one of the things that my wife told me and, you know, it's kind of embarrassing to say though, is, um, I passed out. She would, she would have to come check on me because she said that I would stop breathing. Mm-hmm. I would drink so much. Okay. 
gotcha. so she would she would come up and one time she was holding my daughter okay and my daughter was little she was not even a year old and she went to make sure that i was okay she said my eyes would roll in the back of my head and i would stop breathing you know when i i drink heavily so she went to go make sure i was okay when she did that i woke up swinging dude and sent her flying into a corner holding on to the baby and i didn't even i didn't even realize i had done that hmm. you know wow. and, I, and i would i would wake up yeah. like that you know what i mean and you know, it, you know, I went to the VA and stuff like that. And they said, you know, it's, it's probably, uh, you're trying to, you're having adjustment disorder. You're trying to adjust to civilian lifestyle is mm. what they said, you know, and, and you're binge drinking. It's not that you're an alcoholic, but you're binge drinking on the weekends. You're trying to catch up for the week. That's what a binge drinker yeah, does. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? yeah. So you're in, in one sitting, you're trying to kill yes. You have a, a 30 pack there and it's gone. Well, guess what? I'm hauling ass again to get another 30 pack because I don't know how to quit. Gotcha. You know what I mean? And that gets dangerous when you're traveling with a daughter that's in her yeah. high chair and you think it's okay to go down the ditch hauling ass 80 miles an hour to go 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 to the, the nearest all subs to get another 30 pack or whatever, you know? Yeah. Wow. I and that everybody has their own tolerances, boundaries, limits. Uh, mm -hmm. some people don't, you know, and, and you see people you know all these apprentices will fall out on account of duis okay even mm -hmm. with the modern state with lyft and ubers and stuff and they get judged so heavily and and i can relate man you know <laughs> you get into that iron man feeling where you just i could drive this car right now i'm fine mm -hmm. I'm fine you know and it's just a mile back to the trailer park right you know so i would start yeah, driving I, with the pirate i used to call it the pirate patch because i could see better going like that yeah, I actually had a patch I put over my eyes. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm seeing triple. Well, aim for the one in the middle. You know, it's just like it's you know it's silly prideful back to pride and ego, huh? Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll give you a fun story. So Dave, you know, mentioned that he he's got patience, or uh, not Dave, but uh, Stephen uh -huh. mentioned that I got both your names written side by side on the same note here. Uh, he had mentioned about money, and mm -hmm. uh, and he's got patience across, you know such broad playing field there, right? From millionaires down to people probably on government assistance, I imagine the yeah. people that he might, you know, see, who knows, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know how broad his client base is. But I give you a, an interesting story and I'm gonna leave names out of it. And cause I love both of these men dearly and, and they're both good friends of mine. One's a lineman and um, one's not, but I met, um, I met this particular lineman through the really good friend, right? The friend that was actually in my wedding. Mm. He says, oh, I think you guys would get along great. I think you guys get along great. Well, as they're getting to know each other as neighbors, mm. lineman do what linemen do and they brag about money, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And so the lineman's showing off his paychecks. And this is a hundred hour week lineman. And he's a damn good hand, dude. And and he just loves doing this. And well, my my friend, his son is a stud baseball player. Mm -hmm. And as their conversations get deep, you know, people start to expose themselves a little bit, right? And open mm -hmm. up a little bit. And then, you know, the one friend says, damn, man, I wish I made that much money. And the lineman says, damn, man, I wish my son threw a baseball like yours. <laughs> Dude, powerful, isn't it? It is. It is. I mean, what a humble statement. And 
And, you know, they're both, you know, matured and in, in great fathers and effective fathers and, and learn how to, you know, keep work in moderation. But, you know, back to that money, you know. Yeah. You look at your son throw a baseball, man. I'd, I'd pay for your son's arm. You know? mm-hmm. and, and, and what it took to get him to that point, you know, how much attentive parenting that it takes, you know, to produce a, a star athlete like, like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, what a what a freaking cool story, you know. And to to no embarrassment of each of either of them, you know. Wow. I'm not comparing them as dads. I'm just simply saying, Lyman's boasting about money, but on his heart, what's weighing on his heart? Yeah, he you know the comparison of his children mm-hmm. to, to a like age boy, hmm. you know. And I thought, man, that's pretty potent right there, because he that comparison is a reflection of your performance as a parent. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think it's interesting that you said that because uh, Steve talked about, you can't buy emotional support. That's it's a commodity you cannot buy. So with that being said, you know what I mean? That father, it's not for sale. dude. It's not for sale. You know what I mean? So that, that, that was a good analogy that it you is. had there, you know? It's not for sale, man. I'm telling you, you know, money can't buy me love. Hmm. <laughs> and and you can't you can't recreate memories. You can't. Um, we were joking out there at the desert, and, you know, the kids are all jamming up the hill. And, of course, the women, right? Yeah. What do they want to do? Get some pictures for social media. Oh, yeah. One, one of the old timers there, he's like, here, I got your picture right there. And he just shapes his hand right in front of his eyes. And he said, captured it in my brain. <laughs> you know, that's us as parents and kids and that's how i feel i said don't interrupt this natural moment to assemble everybody mm-hmm. you know they're doing just fine but then sometimes my wife will get those moments and i'll yeah. appreciate it later and i'll say man that that was cool you know because not only do you get it in your brain but you get to look back at it and reflect on it as a physical image oh yeah and it's so cool because with te- technology now you can capture those little moments of crisis on like man <laughs> and it's really cool because like my boy lost his first tooth the other day and okay i mean he was so excited and he was crying because he thought he was going to hurt when he lost it and then he was excited and his enjoyment turned from you know it did hurt i lost my first tooth and guess what i'm getting money he tells me i'm getting yeah. paid sucker <laughs> you know what i mean and it was just a cool moment that i had missed with my other children being on the road you know, working to yeah. provide for my family big to time, where I was able to capture it. And you know what I mean? And now I have it to where I won't forget that. You know what I mean? It, it's yeah. there. You know what I mean? It, it's, mm-hmm. it's forever. Well, I've, seen some Lyman, uh, I've seen some Lyman get real creative, man. And oh, I really, yeah. but it takes a special level of cooperation to pull it off where seen one Lyman, he had a fifth wheel and his goal was to tramp in all 50 States. And his mm. wife was just built for homeschooling and they were so systematic and they were, um, they just had the system down and it was going to be super um, good for them. And yeah. the wife was on board and they just embraced the entire thing. And when dad would work, dad would work, dad would be home, he'd be home. And so mm. it was life on the road, but with the family. Yeah. Um, seeing uh, Lyman settle for the job that they didn't care for. Mm, <laughs> right yeah. so maybe something on the service crew or maybe they had to take a foreman spot for a company they hate or different things just so they can make it work for the family mm-hmm. um and i've seen tons of marriages fall apart 
you know, and it would suck for the lineman because I was just out being a provider jerk, you know, like mm-hmm. I was doing my job out here, working my butt off, going to war every day and, you know, bringing food home and putting it on the table and buying you all that nice stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and you're complaining. Yeah. I'm complaining because there's a void, sir. Mm, yep. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's, you know what I see, you know, when I, when I went through the apprenticeship, I was one of the only dads in my class and I remember being like the oddball. And so I was 20, 28, 29 years old going through a lot of these guys were in the early twenties and some of them were similar age. Not many of them had children. So it wasn't a lot of relatable, but I think words out (laughs) on the stability that linemen can provide Mm because now every freaking one of these apprentices damn near has a baby mama (laughs) And not all the circumstances are good, dude. Mm. And it's a it's shame to see. And uh, oftentimes I'm asked to help, right, mm. with geography so that an apprentice can, can uphold his custody obligations and things like that, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a tough cross for me to bear. And so I just encourage if there's any young linemen listening or young apprentices or young linemen out there, you know, make sure that she's the right one. You know, mm-hmm. you got to validate that girl, you know, do your pole, pole inspection before you drive away. And because you might be getting yourself on a wild ride that you may regret someday, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for her. And it's not going to be good for the child you might create together. Mm-hmm. So take your time. Don't be in a rush to, to be a parent, you know, but if it's right, it's right. You're going to live with your circumstances. You know, whatever you create, you bring to this earth you're more than a paycheck, guys. Mm-hmm. So be ready for that. And, and you're uh, a father for life. <laughs> it ain't going anywhere. <laughs> yep. It ain't going anywhere, you know. So, yeah, one last thing. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll throw this out there. Yeah. And Stephen said, the day a son forgives his father, Mm-hmm. is the day he enters adulthood mm-hmm. think about all of the cap like first of all where did he simply say that sob never did nothing good for me he always did this he always did that he was there for everybody else he was never there for me mm-hmm. um, you know he's in a state of arrested development if you ask me mm-hmm. he's captured right there at that moment Yep. And he's not advancing forward. And I've seen this throughout um, with throughout different people's lives, you know, mm-hmm. relative where a significant emotional experience would, would occur. Right. Mm-hmm. And I brought this up at, at Nick's funeral and this is a significant emotional experience. Right. Mm-hmm. And his mother was there, his dad, small world. I happened to know the family through, you know, the football community and different things growing up, law enforcement family. And I've seen families and I've seen children and I've seen parents get trapped right there Mm -hmm. and not progress and not advance forward. And we have a a damn good brother in our union and he's kind of higher up at our union hall and he lost a 19 year old daughter, Mm -hmm. you know, and he was trying to plow forward and he's trying to still do his job and answer all his needy little bitchy lineman's needs. You know, while he just recently laid to rest a 19-year-old daughter and is trying to manage his wife who's going through it right now. Wow. You know, and if if you think you got needs and you got things to complain about, 
put one of your children in, your, in the ground and tell me if you can gather up the wherewithal to mm-hmm. push through that and push forward and get your family through that somehow and and not just trapped there. And that's where I think, yes, he was trapped in such a selfish state, you know, of resentment towards his father, you know, mm-hmm. and even as a grown man, we could harbor all that and say, you did this to me, you did that to me, you, you, know, you, you beat my ass, you were an alcoholic, you, whatever example, you're always on the road, you put line work before family, well, whatever it is. I, you're a grown man now, my friends, you know, I'm not telling you to just, there's no delete button on the brain, but seek out men like Steven, you know, who mm. can get to the root of that problem, right? And then yeah. we can start chopping down that tree, you know, because mm-hmm. if we don't identify the root of that problem, we're never going to root that thing. We're just going to cut off a branch and it's going to grow right back. And we're going to mm-hmm. cut off another branch. And all, at that point, we're just maintaining something, you know, you're just pruning the tree. You'll never get rid of it. So mm-hmm. I don't discourage professional help. And it took me 30, 36, 36 years before I had my marriage in jeopardy. And it was an ultimatum at the time. And so I was kind of going involuntarily. Yeah. And it was one-on-ones. And then I didn't know if it was a strategy by this particular um gentlemen but it seemed like i turned into the damn counselor right mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> where i'm counseling him and i'm like is he's just trying to find common ground i don't know the approach right yeah but as i as i continued past it and didn't overthink it and didn't get my defenses up we made progress hmm. and he, and he was a genuine professional at work because he did have to establish some common ground to get me vulnerable to get me to open up and to get me into those moments where you can actually get to the real truth mm-hmm. because if you're just feeding him some soft shell crap, he's going to see right through it. He wants, yeah. to, or he wants to get to the real problem here, buddy. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're just going through the motions from, for your wife, come back later. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then me and her, um, she harbored some resentment for a couple of years and, and whatnot. And then we went together and it got to the point where she's like, I think he's bored with us. <laughs> and I said, cause we're not bad off, babe. I said, we're in pretty damn good shape. You know, you got to yeah. go cussing me a little bit, cry a little bit, get some things off your chest. And, um, you know, he tells me, you know, some, some advice tells you some advice and, and we get through it. Right. Mm-hmm. Give it, putting it in the hands of a third party where you're both voluntarily going there mm-hmm. or you're just going there as an individual. It makes a difference too yeah because otherwise you're going to formulate your own conclusions and i guarantee you're just telling yourself what you think you already know Mm -hmm. and and it just gives you an opportunity to see a different perspective big time and a professional uncontaminated perspective because my my big problem there was like all right this jackass young liberal privileged SOB who's never seen a hard day in his life went to a four-year university and what's he going to tell me about me yeah right yeah well he, he wasn't taught about hard knocks he was just taught about how to repair brain damage mm-hmm. you know that's all he was he's he he has an education in this you have an education in life good mm-hmm. for you right so everything you know about life he knows about his subject matter mm-hmm. so give him the credit where credit is due <laughs> Yeah. Right? 
Because if you want your, you want to take your credit back to my car analogy, you want to take your credit for all those miles you got on you and all those stories and all those scars and bumps and bruises and different things that you have to tell. He has equal parts of that in his practice. Mm -hmm. So just as good as you are at life, he is within his own scope of medicine. Mm -hmm. So don't be too proud to visit with men like men or women like that and find one that fits. Yeah. Because they're not all the same, you know? There's some that are one trick pony and they're just entering the field. And there's some that are just seasoned veterans mm -hmm. and, you know, find the guy that fits you or find the gal that fits you and, and keep going back. Don't, don't, don't let pride or ego get in the way of solving that problem, you know, cause it's not mental illness right now, but if it continues to mastercise, it will eventually grow into that. Yeah, exactly. And I, I like that you touched that you got to destroy the root from below to destroy the fruit that it produces. Bingo. Yep. You know, you, you formatted that much better, sir. That was <laughs> it. That was it, man. You know, but like I said, if you're just hacking off branches, you know, you're maintaining it. Th those drunken nights for me, I'm just hacking off branches, you know, <laughs> yeah. those Saturday nights, I'm just maintaining it. That, that might be just enough release I need, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, or decompression or um, I encourage hobbies. You know, I don't have many of them, but when I find one, man, does it distract me in such a good way? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I, I'm, you know, before it was like, okay, now I'm in an environment where people want to golf all the time. I'm like, do you want to go in the backyard and lift rusty weights? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Because that's where I feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, you mean to tell me I got to go play this slow motion precision sport? that I'm not very good at. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd rather seek comfort in an environment that I feel good in, right? Yeah. That's, cool. that's what human nature does. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that, that's what it does. It finds comfort. That's awesome that you, you touched on that, dude, because I know for me, anything I do, I start taking to the excess. So now that I, and I got, and I am, I'm aware of that now because I have yeah. gone through, through counseling and stuff like that. I understand that I haven't, addictive personality so just because i traded in drinking or tobacco use you know what i mean i started having other stuff that started becoming unhealthy you know with, you know running seven to ten miles a day and 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 going to all these different uh adventure races and stuff like that you know what i mean i started getting mm -hmm. addicted again you know yeah. this time it was healthy but still it started taking away i, I call those energy weeks it's kind of like having a, a transformer and you have yep. too many servers off of it. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and you have voltage drop and it's, it's kind of like that. You got all these energy leaks and working that, too hard for too long. <laughs> exactly, dude. You know, and uh, go. so I started seeing that and uh, I started making, we're the, not transformers, right? We can't just swap it out for a larger KVA. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like exactly. We, we got to make those, those little adjustments. And I think the word yes. they're using it now is uh, is shifting. Everybody's calling it a shift. You know, you got to, okay. you got to shift nowadays, right? Make those little mm -hmm. shifts, those little adjustments. And that's what I started doing. Now that I was aware of my addictive personality, I started making those little shifts, little adjustments to, to get rid of those things that robbed me from the intentional committed, responsible father that I wanted to be for my children, you know, cause yeah. my yeah. hobby started robbing my time from my kids. Yeah. Because now that was my solace. That was me going, I'm going to go and, and yep. deal with this. You know what I mean? To get away. Yeah. While my kids are like, dad, dad, you're home, you're home. And I'm like, no, I got to go do this, son. You know what I mean? Yep. And, 
Yep. So, oh no, I I feel guilty even about this conversation. I I could be four episodes into Cobra Kai right now, dude. I know. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> <Me too. laughs> right on, brother. It's the truth, man. Because the they were they couldn't wait to get on. You know? No, <laughs> I know, man. But uh, oh, on that point, uh, one thing that we look forward to in my household and that video by Jordan Peterson, I just punched in uh, Jordan Peterson parenting, right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. He talks about bantering with your kids, you know, mm. wrestling, you know, it's almost like you're preparing them to dance mm. and people get offended with him because he compares humans a lot to the animal kingdom. Yeah. yeah. I don't find any offense whatsoever in that. He says, you know, you take a, a young puppy to a dog park mm. and then it learns how to banter with other animals and it learns how to interact and it knows what a, a growling aggressive dog looks like. And it knows what ones that want to have fun looks like. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. How are kids any different? Exactly. We're teaching them how to dance. We're teaching them how to play and coexist and know what a threat looks like and know what somebody who's trying to be offensive looks like and know, you know, so at my house, we, we have a couple of things because a lot of my older brothers were good people, you know, yeah. and they were real good big brothers, yeah. you know, and we were always into WWF. And so we'd reenact it and everything. I think every, every young kid should reenact, you know, some form of fictitious wrestling yeah so we have wednesday night wrestling and then we have thursday night throwdown well they're 28 year old boys and they're yeah, on demand in my house they could drop in front of me do 30 push-ups and i'll hand them a dollar <laughs> and i don't care if they sat there and did five sets of 30 they're getting five bucks yeah as many push-ups as they want to do they could have a buck so they're pretty physical they're pretty strong mm. and and we'll have these oh i'm to a point where hey fellas as hard as you hit me i'm gonna hit back you know because it start, yeah. starts it to hurt, to hurt huh? you know and they, they got to get a hold of their hands and feet because you know they're going to find like age kids who say hey you know too rough you know and they're not going to learn how to gauge the circumstance you know? yeah yeah and you know that's where i i need to get them back into jujitsu and and different you know physical environments but with covid it's just been a you know as many families are dealing with the absence of those resources right now mm -hmm. but you know, teach kids how to dance, mm -hmm. you know, put that little girl on your, on your feet and move her around and, and, you know, all that good stuff. That's where the relationship starts. My kids yeah. and my daughters, my daughters have our wedding song picked out. Oh, wow. That's awesome. They both said, Hey, we, we're not getting away with just one. You know, they have two each. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> that's awesome. And you know, they're, they're probably going to dance with their stepdad as well. And mm -hmm. that's awesome too. You know, and that's back to that relationship for parents, for those kids. Mm -hmm. You talk about letting go of some pride and ego and not viewing it from just your lens. Mm. You know, that each him out of dance, fellas. Yeah, <laughs> heck yeah, man. That's awesome, dude. Well, Gene, you know, it's been a, a great night, bro. I love having you on here, dude. And you brought some really good insight and truth. And I, I just love it, dude. I mean, everything you say is just something that we can use as linemen or even other tradesmen. You know, they can take all, everything they want and just add it to their toolbox you know and I, I don't care what two belts wrapped around your waist man yeah exactly Tra tradesmen are all the same you know yep. you you put passion into your craft you spend time away from your family so that you can provide you hang out with your co-workers more than you see your own children we mm -hmm. all deal with some struggles guys you know and 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 although you know this is a lineman moderator and i'm a lineman guest you know we all have buddies in every trade and we know that mm -hmm. that we all suffer and feel the same struggle and exactly I encourage guys to find 
environments and communities like this mm-hmm. and spend time in them, you know, because you know, social media is a powerful tool. Yeah. And it could be used for evil and it could be used for good. Yeah. You know, and this mm-hmm. is a damn good use, man. A damn good use. I can't say it enough. And it's cr- trippy how we found each other. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it is. It is. Just, just like, man, I like this guy's stuff. You know, it's like you were like the Cody Jinx of Instagram. <laughs> I was like, yeah, buddies, do it. Yeah, that's awesome, bro. He's well, speaking to my soul. Is that Fergie and Jesus? <laughs> that's awesome, bro. But, um, uh, but yeah, dude, I thank you, bro. And like I said, I, I look forward to many more of these. I mean, it's such an inspiration to see like-minded guys get together and just, you know, be able to dissect this and and bring it to our audience in a way that's relatable to them you know what i mean Mm -hmm. absolutely from from real guys you know because that's what we are we're real guys we're we're, like you said we're we're tradesmen we're we're linemen we're but at the end of the day we're fathers Mm -hmm. fathers and we're husbands and that's a level playing field like steve said yes and i want the best for your children just like you want the best for my children amen and for the guys who are listening on this podcast. Mm-hmm. So I thank you, bro. Good night, dude. I'll let you get to Cobra Kai because I'm going to go watch it myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, the suspense is killing me, dude. Oh, no, dude. Man, but, uh, but uh, thanks, Gene, and take care. And uh, I'll, I'll talk to you soon, brother. It's an absolute pleasure. Anytime. All right. And Gene, just for them to just, just to throw it out there once again, it's going to be in the notes to get a hold of you, line one, one on Instagram, and then your Facebook, Gene Glaudeman, correct? Eugene Glaudeman, E-U-G-E-N-E, last name Glaudeman, G-L-O-U-D-E-M-A-N, common spelling, huh? Yeah. Um, and then the Instagram's at line11clothing, and we have a lot of fun there. We're just throwing out uh, a patriotic, bold, wholesome, courage-built message, and uh, that operation where we're restoring that brotherhood. And to some of you old timers out there, man, I'm hearing it from our youngsters that you guys are not too fond because your bitterness towards the brotherhood. Keep that shit out of our backyard, guys. We don't need your negativity, all right? Remember when you were fresh and impressionable and don't impose your negative projection on our younger guys. You know, give them a fair shake at this thing. So at Line11Clothing on Instagram and Eugene Glotteman on Facebook. Right on. Thank you, Gene. And once again, dude, I wear his stuff. It's amazing. It, the quality speaks for itself. You want to talk about craftsmanship? I mean, this is legit. His clothing is legit, Gene. So thank right you, dude. On, and, and keep it keep it pouring out, bro. And we thank you for everything you do, dude. And you have a good night. Okay, brother? I'm gonna. Cobra Kai. Oh, yeah. Cobra Kai. <laughs> <laughs>